field, the disciples are very normal. That having observed that, they would say, will you, will you teach us how to do that? Please teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray is the heart cry of discipleship. Show us how to be in a relationship with God. That's what we're asking. What does it look like? Show us how to pray the way you pray, Jesus. Help us approach the Father the way you approach the Father. It's occurred to me over, you know, the last 19 years of being a pastor at many different points that the most important thing that I can do as a pastor is teach people to pray. Like, what else is there than, you know, facilitating an active relationship between you and God and then just getting out of the way. I mean, that's the best thing that I can do. And as soon as I have that thought, my next thought is, oh, I really ought to learn how to pray better so I can teach it. It is a journey, I believe, for every person because we are approaching a person who is infinitely different than us, who is overwhelming in his glory and holiness, who offers things that are beyond our wildest dreams. I mean, it is a, a stunning idea, and he's invisible. We go through our lives and look at many other ways that we can try to help ourselves, try to make it through the day, and Oftentimes, it's easy to put the idea of being connected to God on the back burner. But prayer is relationship with God in action. It's not merely the things that we say to God, although it includes that. It's the things that God says to us. It's simply being with God. It's, it's enjoying his presence. Prayer is relationship with God in action. You can talk a lot about God, but until you're praying, you're not in an interactive relationship with him. Prayer is a preview of the kingdom. Did you know that? When we pray, we get a little taste of what we will have in full in the new heavens and the new earth, that unfiltered, total connection with the Father where we see him face to face and we are transformed Prayer is a tiny glimpse of that. When I consider my own life, I'm really stunned by how easily I drift from prayer. I'm stunned by how I actually pray compared to what I believe about prayer. It is so easy to have a major gap in our lives, and I experience that many times. The implication is that we can have an active conversation with the creator of the universe. Just think about that. That's the implication of prayer. I mean, we think a lot about what it's like being connected to whoever the most powerful person you're connected to is. Think of maybe the richest or most influential person that you know. It's a big deal that you are connected to that person. We think a lot about that. I mean, if, I don't know, 
One of the guests to see Sicho's baptism today was Elon Musk. I would feel a different pressure. I, I wouldn't want to feel it, but I would feel a different sort of hope and curiosity and pressure about having Elon Musk here in the room. Based on what I understand about his beliefs, that would be a big surprise to have him here, but a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with him. Anyway, the, the reality is when you become aware of someone's great wealth or great influence or great power in some way, it, there's a natural thing that rises up in us where we wonder how it might impact us. A and there's all sorts of stories like that hit the news all the time. You, you might remember the big trial of the, uh, uh, the deal with Britney Spears and her dad because he was still benefiting off of her fame and, and the revenue from her music. You may see recently there's been this new trial, this case between the football player Michael Ower and, uh, and his adoptive parents. His story is told dramatically in the movie The Blind Side from which they benefited greatly financially and he didn't as much. And he says, that's not even how the story went. And so there's all sorts of sort of drama behind the scenes because there were people sort of trying to benefit off of his role as a professional football player. Lottery winners consistently share about how they regret that they won the lottery because they lost all their friends. Why? because people thought, maybe I can get a slice. You didn't even earn this money. I want a slice of it. That's what happens. Often, we long for that. We're interested in that with people. And yet, we forget that we have access to the one who created and owns the universe. We forget. Then again, the way Jesus teaches prayer in this passage makes that relationship a little different than, say, if Warren Buffett just gave you access to his bank accounts. It makes it a little bit different. It's not just like, kick back, I can do whatever I want. No, the way Jesus teaches prayer implies that when we enter into that relationship, there are some obligations on us, too. There's expectations of us. The lesson in prayer here implies constant dependence, not a limitless credit card. It implies an obligation to God for which we need his help to live out. Jesus both enables prayer and reminds us why prayer is hard. In fact, after he teaches the prayer, which is much shorter in Luke than the one you're probably used to praying, after he teaches the prayer, he tells these stories to help us approach God differently. In fact, with the prayer that he teaches and the stories that follow, Jesus gives us two things. He gives us how we pray and who we're praying to. How we pray and who this is that we are praying to, the one that we're bringing these physical, social, and spiritual needs before so let me talk about those two things. How? I could go through each line, and in fact, several years ago, we did a four-week series that went through each line of this prayer 
in Luke. So if you want to go on a deeper dive, you can dig through the archives on our website and hopefully find it. I want to just drop a few little tidbits for you right now uh, and try to be quick about some details in this. One, when Jesus tells us to pray for daily bread, that's such an interesting line, but it's him telling us that we are together with the people of Israel who were in the wilderness in the book of Exodus. He's telling us that spiritually, we're in the same position that they were physically, because what did they depend on? They depended on the strange bread that they called manna, which meant, what is it? It would appear each day on the ground. They had explicit instructions not to take more than one day's worth of the bread. And I think the primary meaning of Jesus saying, pray for daily bread, is you are spiritually with those people and your dependence on God needs to be as active as theirs was in the wilderness. That's one interesting thing. Second, Jesus gives this line about forgive, forgive us our sins for we have also forgiven those who've sinned against us. What's interesting in Luke is the two words that we say sin in this one are two different words in the Greek. When, when Jesus says forgive us our sins when we're praying that to God, it's the normal word for sin, homartia, the normal word for I've crossed the line. Often you hear the word trespasses there. I've crossed a boundary that God set. Forgive us. We say forgive us of our hamartia. But then when it says we also forgive those who sin against us, it's strange to me that we say the same word in English because it's a different word in Greek. It's the word aphelo, which means debts. We forgive our debtors. And guys, the first thing Jesus meant with that in especially in the first century, was literal forgiveness of financial debts. People would establish power relationships in society by lending out money to one another. People would often find themselves bound to other people for life because they could not get out of debt. You've heard of indentured servitude, which exists in many places in the world today, and many of you may feel that way with your credit card company or your mortgage company? Well, that happened often in relationships. And Jesus is saying in his community, those power dynamics needed to be eradicated. But it also goes beyond financial debts. It goes into relational debts. I think when you are dealing with a situation with another person where you have been wronged, the reality is they owe you something. They owe you something. If, if there is a genuine wrong that has happened, you, you may not be able to articulate what it is. I just want them to acknowledge it and say they're sorry. Or they, they broke my phone and they owe me a new screen or whatever. You know, I don't know what it is. That, that's not necessarily a sin unless they slammed your phone down on purpose, but that's a bunny trail. Here's the deal. Forgiveness, if we follow what Jesus is saying here, is that moment where we decide in our hearts, you don't owe me anything else. We're good. You don't owe me anything. And you may have to remind yourself daily 
that you have made the decision that that person doesn't owe you anything. And now that you've decided they don't owe you anything, they don't owe you gratitude either. They don't owe you anything. Jesus is leveling the playing field in his community. Last thing I want to say about the how. We could spend a lot of time talking about, is Jesus saying that if we don't pray, lead us not into temptation, that God's going to lead us into temptation? Isn't that a weird line? Like, oh, is God in the business of leading us into temptation if we ask him, unless we ask him not to? It's a strange phrase, isn't it? But I need to tell you guys, that takes us right back to the wilderness. The people of Israel were wandering through the Sinai wilderness, and they're being led by the presence of God. Literally, they can see a pillar of smoke or fire that they are following through the wilderness. And if they stay close to that and stay close to what Moses is saying to them, they don't fall into all sorts of temptations. But if you read Exodus or Numbers, you discover that in fact, all the time, they were drifting into temptation. What Jesus is teaching us is that our daily life is surrounded by opportunities to drift away from following God. This is asking him to give us his spirit and lead us through our daily life. Protect us from temptation. Give us strength to resist it. But having said all of that, here's the most important thing, maybe that I'll say in this sermon. Jesus means for you to pray these words. Like, I don't want to get too complicated and bury that. Jesus means for you to pray these words. He means for you to pray them every day. Give us this day our daily bread. He means for you, believers, to pray these words. And, and many of us, we can go through seasons where we get stuck. Like, I'm just not sure how to pray. I'm just not sure what to say. You know, you feel kind of like, ah, oh, the wooden or like it's awkward Jesus gives us the very words to pray. It's such a gift that he has given us. And there's a different version in the Gospel of Matthew that probably means Jesus was teaching how to pray at many different points throughout his ministry, and he wasn't using exactly the same words. In other words, it's not about exactly memorizing it, and if you mess up a word, God's going to go, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. He's giving us the basic concepts that set us in a good relationship with him, in right posture before him. Pray these words. Work to understand them. Meditate on them. Try to resemble them and embody them. But overall, start by just praying them. And you could go from there, to, from praying them, to using them as an outline to guide your prayers. So when you say, Father, make your name holy among us, or hallowed be your name, then you can start just sharing your own words about God as your Father, or what it's like that he might make his name holy in your life, or how far your behavior is from treating his name as holy, or whatever. You can pray it as an outline. I need to remember that through Jesus, God is my Father. I need to acknowledge that his name is not honored in my life 
often. I need him to sanctify me by his name. I need to lay down my arms and ask for him to send his kingdom again in my heart and in my circle of influence. I need to depend on him for my physical needs. I need to see the physical things I have as his provision. I need my relationship with him and other people to be restored by his grace and mercy. I can't forgive somebody's debts until I've experienced God's overwhelming mercy in my life. I need his guidance through all of the temptations in the desert of this life. They ask Jesus to teach him to pray, and he just, he does it. I mean, what a gift. Sometimes Jesus gives weird answers to questions, but he gives such a direct answer. But I think the deeper point of this passage is not only how to pray, but it's who we're praying to. Jesus goes on to give two stories, a story about a friend who's a next-door neighbor and a story about a father. And these two stories tell us to compare a, a, a neighbor who would loan something to us even when they don't want to and a father who would give food to his kids even when he doesn't like them to compare those to God, which is to say, how much more if someone who's annoyed in the middle of the night or a father who is evil, how much more would a good and loving God invite us to approach him? The point of this passage is who we are praying to. God is a generous neighbor. In fact, the last passage we looked at was the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus is teaching us how to make ourselves a good neighbor to others. And we discovered that the deepest meaning of that story is that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And here he goes on to say, how much better is God than a neighbor who would lend you bread in the middle of the night? How much better? I love the bread connection too. Give us this day our daily bread and then the story is a neighbor asking for bread. I love that. With that in mind, we can return to the model prayer with greater boldness. This is the sort of God who doesn't merely provide bread that one time we're short. He provides it generously every day. He doesn't expect us to stock our own bread, so to speak. He wants to give it to us. And the story of the father who gives good gifts to his kids, that tells us that God is the sort of father who doesn't merely teach his kids a trade and send, some, send them off. He provides constant means for them to have a healthy relationship with him, with each other. He gives us constant guidance. Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation in the prayer, and then he says, how much more will God give his Holy Spirit to those who ask? Who is it who guides us? It's the Holy Spirit who guides us. So I wonder, is it good to be perpetually dependent on God? I mean, after all, parents, people who are raising young people, your hope for your kids is probably not that they will live in your basement when they're 50, right? Your hope is that they will grow to a point 
where they are independent, they are on their own. A loving neighbor like the Good Samaritan provides the means for someone to be restored and to be healed. They, they do what our benevolence team, the alongside team is trying to do. Not just a hand out, but a hand up. How do we help someone take the step to be self-sufficient? And yet Jesus sets us in a state of total perpetual dependence on God. While I hope my children will one day stock their own fridge, Jesus sends me to the Father every day for even my most basic needs. And the best thing I can do with my kids is teach them to go to the Father every day with their most basic needs. And I don't think the contrast between a parent who wants their kid to be independent and God is as pronounced as I'm making it. We go too far when we think a healthy person is totally independent. That's not God's ideal. Humanity is incomplete on our own. What's the one thing God said wasn't good before the fall? It is not good for the man to be alone. We're not supposed to be on our own. We're supposed to be with each other, sharing life with one another. The very best parts of my life for example, my relationship with my wife, Erin, are what they are because Erin and I have chosen to need each other. We've chosen to need each other. We were relatively independent adults before we started dating and got married, and yet we've bound our lives together. Many of you know divorce is so messy and painful because people have bound themselves and their needs and their well-being together. And that's good when it works out well. Though it's not required for survival, Aaron and my vulnerability to one another creates possibilities that wouldn't exist otherwise. Jesus envisions that the ultimate expression of human relationship is not between husband and wife, but between his followers who meet one another's needs, who are bound by our mutual commitment to him, and therefore, Follow his commands to love and serve one another. In other words, this prayer teaches us that the ideal for humanity, the highest form of human life, is dependence on God and an interdependence on one another. And therefore, sin, the very thing that we are tempted by, is at its root driven by our desire to be independent from God and one another. I think you could be someone who follows all the rules and still in your heart think you are doing it on your own without God and be living in a total state of sin. What God wants for you is your dependence on him. I could memorize the Bible. I could give most of my money away. I could tell non-believers about Jesus every day. I could do all of this and more and yet still be in a state of sin. All it would take would be my simple belief that I am doing enough to meet my own spiritual and physical needs. That's all it would take. I think self-righteousness is a good synonym for sin. The Lord's Prayer is not meant to be a rote prayer. It's meant to show us our posture before God. It's a recognition of who we are. 
when I know who he is and who I am, I can be joyfully dependent on him. And that is the very thing that honors his name. That's what makes him holy in our midst when we depend on God. New Testament scholar Frederick Dale Bruner puts it beautifully. He says, the right way for disciples to appear before God is not as givers to a divine egoist, but as receivers from a generous father. Asking is true worship. And it lets God be God and us be human beings. The Lord's Prayer illustrates the ideal relationship with God. And Jesus is the one who teaches us how to do it. Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you. It's naturally vulnerable. I get it. The story Jesus tells of the neighbor is, is vulnerable. You guys, just put yourself in his shoes. You have something you need. It's the middle of the night, and your only option is to go knock on your neighbor's door. That's terrifying to me. I, if, knocking on a door when somebody is expecting me is nerve-wracking to me. Do you have that? Like, you're like, maybe they're busy. I don't, okay, okay, you know. I mean, that's hard. When the first couple years we lived in our house, there were a couple times where we cooking something, whatever, we needed something. And it's like the classic thing. Like, Aaron would say, well, can you go ask Les, our next door neighbor, for a cup of sugar? And I'd be like, nope, I am going to the store. The store's close enough. I did not want to do it. Thankfully, over years of connection with them, I maybe could do it. Maybe. Maybe. But gosh, it is so vulnerable to do that. But that is the posture that Jesus invites us into with them. In fact, he call, in our version, he calls it sheer persistence. But that is not, uh, that's not the best word for it. The idea here is an audacious request before God. It is, it is audacious, it is vulnerable that we would do that. And he says that we can think of prayer as walking to our neighbor's door and knocking on it. And says he, In fact, he says, knock, seek, and ask. Of course, he says that in reverse order. But it's a, that's a picture of going to your neighbor's door. It's scary, it's vulnerable, and when the door is opened, you are shocked at the grace and provision that is offered to you. Friends, the more tightly we are connected with God, the more intimately we are connected with him, the freer we are to make bold and audacious requests. Think about that. The people you're closest to in your life, you make big requests with them. You know, if I'm out to dinner with most of you, I'm not going to say, hey, give me a bite of your steak. But if I'm out to dinner with Erin, I won't even hesitate. I may just take a bite of her steak. You know, there's something that comes with that intimacy. And that's what Jesus is offering us here. God is a personal God. He has a will and a plan, and he invites us into it. The promise that you will receive reminds us that he is generous. Though he is not predictable or controllable, he's generous. 
So why do we pray? We pray because God has what we need and he loves to give it. He loves to give it, church. We pray because God is the father described by Jesus. It is Jesus' joy to reveal him to us. We pray because he's the sort of God who joyfully gives of himself to bring us to the door, to bring us to the house. And that's what we remember here. This meal is a reminder why we pray. This God literally sacrificed himself so that we could have this kind of relationship with him. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time, church, we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as the worship team makes their way up, I would invite you to prepare your heart to come and receive the free gift of God that's given for you. Since we have a lot of guests here today, I'll tell you the way we do it is you, uh, the line comes this way, uh, your left, and then rotates around. You receive a piece of the bread in your hand, and then you dip it in the cup. All of the bread is gluten-free. I'm holding wine, but we also have grape juice available for anyone who would like it. Let's pray together. Father.